This is a Rooster Teeth production. Exorcisms are performed daily around the world and the demand is seemingly growing. But what goes into making an exorcist? We find out on 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we cover topics, history, events, people, places, and ideas of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. In April 1978, Father Ernst Alt, 40, and Father Arnold Renz, 67 years old, stood trial for negligent homicide. The spectators in the courtroom listened to tapes of guttural screams and obscenities amidst chants of prayer. The screams were made by Annalise Michelle, who was 23 years old when the two priests in the defendant's box had conducted an exorcism on her, two years prior, ultimately resulting in her death. This trial was the first of its kind in German history and garnered the rapt attention of the public. Now, despite a long history with epilepsy and mental illness, Annalise's parents and the priests were convinced that the only explanation for her incurable and heightened vexation was demonic possession. She endured months and months of grueling rites and exorcism and extreme starvation and dehydration. By the time of her death, she was absolutely emaciated, basically a skeleton, a husk of a human. Yes, and even after her death, Annalise's parents were convinced that their daughter's soul remained harbored by dark forces. They had her body exhumed for a post-mortem exorcism too. Both parents and the two priests were ultimately found guilty, though none served any jail time but probation and fines. And Annalise's story has been told and examined through pop culture as source material for The Exorcism of Emily Rose and BuzzFeed's Unsolved series. But above all, it's a deeply disturbing account of exorcism in the modern age, even though it happened 40-something years ago. In this episode of 30 Morbid Minutes, we are making an exorcist. Meaning, we're looking into why there's a renewed interest in and demand for exorcists around the world, what it takes for a priest to become a functioning and recognized exorcist, and the Vatican's relatively new exorcist school. Which is so surprising because obviously there are so many schools for different trades, and so, and there's the seminary for priesthood, but a specific exorcist school feels like something from a movie. It really does. We'll also be investigating the approval process, psychiatry's role, and how stigmas surrounding mental illness create a dangerous ground for potential abuse in exorcisms. We'll mostly be focusing in the realm of Catholicism and the Catholic Church, which isn't to say that there aren't those outside of this specific theology who practice exorcisms, but we'll get into all that later. Yeah, the Catholics act like they've got dibs, (laughs) but (laughs) possession and exorcism dates back to early cultures and ancient times like the Egyptian and Babylonian civilizations, which also kind of like modern you know, Catholicism attributed illness or misfortune to an invasion of evil spirits. And they conducted these shamanistic rituals and ceremonies to expel these spirits. But yeah, the Catholics. The Catholics. (laughs) Yeah. um, You all know about my feelings on that. But uh, today we define an exorcist as somebody who specializes in performing exorcisms. And an exorcism is the expulsion of an unwanted force or energy from an afflicted person, place, or thing. 
Mm -hmm. I think we've all seen, or most of us have seen the 1973 film, The Exorcist. The Exorcist. Yeah. It's so crazy though. I know you mentioned earlier, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. That one scared me more. Oh, really? Yeah. I wonder if it's just like, it's, it's a modern horror movie and it's really going for those, those scares and The Exorcist is a bit more subtle potentially. Yeah, I think so. I love that movie. And it, of it is, you do. It, it was the movie that kind of, I think, also brought this idea of exorcists and exorcism to the forefront of the public imagination. Absolutely. And then all the weird stuff that happened around set as well. Is oh, yeah. We, we might get into that later, but yeah, yeah weird stuff. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, Jess, exorcism is the act of driving out or warding off demons, evil spirits that have possessed or infested a person or otherwise is an agent or an instrument of malice. Exorcists are like demonic exterminators, if you will, (laughs) called upon to cast out these entities and banish these demonic presences uh, back to the realm from which they came. And if you're measuring it by the Catholic Church's goalposts, not just anyone and everyone can designate themselves as an exorcist and start performing these rituals or expulsions. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta be a priest to start, mm-hmm. and there are no exceptions. Priesthood is the very first step, completing the requirements of the seminary. So once you've gone through the seminary, next a priest typically needs to be ordained as a deacon, and also must receive the stamp of approval from a bishop to even pursue becoming an exorcist. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not all. So, you know, hard and rigid. I think it's, I don't think the deacon part is like a absolute, but it's, it's, you're encouraged to be rising into the church and have that profile to even be like considered for the position. And also keep in mind here, it's Catholicism. Not everyone (laughs) is uh, considered to be a priest, cisgendered men only, no women, no non-binary genders. Uh, That being said, there are lay people who do undergo similar studies to priest and work as kind of like priest assistants or right hands to the priests who perform exorcisms. Yes, like priests, these assistants need to live pious and sin-free lives, be devout in prayers and united in the sacraments and exhibit some form of a calling from God. Mm -hmm. There's a priest, Father Vincent Lampert, who's an exorcist of the Catholic Archdiocese of Indianapolis and pastor of St. Malachi Parish in Brownsburg, Indiana, who has an assistant named Mary Chastine, who is essentially her, her, or the father's like partner, like in exorcist Mm -hmm. crime, Mm -hmm. despite not being bestowed the same title or honors. Yeah. Yeah, Mary Chastine studied alongside Father Lamper all throughout his studies and knows everything he knows. She endures what he endures, which according to her is quite a lot. Yeah, Chastine once said, the most effective exorcists are willing, but they don't necessarily want to do it. It's sort of like being an emergency room nurse. You're skilled, you can go in, you know you can do it, you're willing to do it, but nobody wants the carnage. Yeah, sounds like a pretty dangerous and taxing job. One misstep might let the devil slip in. Uh And I mean, right now, let's just call this BS that Mary Chastine, she does all this stuff, but cannot be considered for this title. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Call it what it is. uh, (laughs) Yep, you sure did. Yeah, and she's just as susceptible to the devil slipping in, too. Mm -hmm. Maybe even Mm -hmm. more because she's not a priest. A hundred percent, exactly. Yeah, and I think, like, working exorcists and those around the discipline 
they believe in this. Uh, Even so, the demand for exorcists has been steadily increasing over the past few decades. And this is where kind of the numbers and the research are all over the place, so bear with us. Some sources have the number of active exorcists in the U.S. at around 50, while others have as many as 125. Yeah, these numbers are just like, it's it's tough because I feel like there's, I don't know that there's any official relic exorcist registration system, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and also we're working in the realm of Catholicism and there are people who consider themselves to be somebody that has a calling and they pr- practice exorcisms and cleansings outside of that religion. So mm-hmm. have you seen Constantine with Keanu Reeves? No. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, it's, I, I love it. It's, so it I, it's good. I think it's based on comic book series. It, maybe, it right? is. And so is he like an mm-hmm. exorcist? Matt? Oh, I mean, he's, well, he doesn't, I could go into this, but. Please he, do. Uh, well, <laughs> I haven't seen the movie in a very, very long time, so I'm not sure, but he tends to. It's weird because he's not necessarily religious, but yet he obviously deals with the devil and God a lot. Like a ghost rider. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. But no, he's performing exorcisms left and right. And the way oh. that he does them, he uses a mirror. It's very interesting. Wait, what you does he do a watch. With, what does he do with the mirror? He puts the mirror on top, not on top, but like it, it's somewhere like hovering over the person that is going through the exorcism. And basically what the mirror does is uh, once the demon releases itself or well, he's pulling the demon out of this person's body. Uh, He traps it inside the mirror and then he'll throw the mirror and it breaks. And then uh, the demon is no longer a part of this world. But yeah, he uses the mirror to trap the demons inside of it. That's a fun little take on exorcisms and a fun little character mechanic. It is. Maybe I will have to watch Constantine. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. It's good. I like it. And gosh, if we had more Constantines out there in the world, there wouldn't be uh, such a demand. (laughs) for such a for demand because <laughs> apparently there just are not enough exorcists out there and it's a problem it's a worldwide problem allegedly that's affecting the catholic church in many countries as reported on by the press yeah there have been an, an increase in the number of reported demonic possessions and requests for exorcisms are on the rise and i do know that like you know the exorcists we like mentioned earlier that was something that like i think numbers of reported exorcist or possessions went up after that movie, because it just, yeah, like people were like, well, that's, you know, you see monkey see monkey do, but absolutely. Uh, Christian think tank Theos published a report in 2017, quoting as many as half a million people, 500,000 people seeking exorcisms every year in just Italy, which Jessica, you are Italian. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I, know. I, and I know that there's, you know, obviously that's a very like Predominantly Catholic country, mm-hmm. and there's a mm-hmm. strong superstition, mysticism in this, the culture. So, does yep. that kind of make sense to you from that background? It, I mean, it does. I mean, everybody listening, if you've been listening from the beginning, knows. Yeah, I was raised Catholic, and it, it is very predominant for sure. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you know, and again, I'm bringing back the sleep paralysis episode about cultural priming. You oh, know, yeah. mm-hmm. there's, I feel there might be a little bit of that at play as well, and. For sure. You know, so. But then conversely, in the UK, requests are also unprecedentedly high in which, at least for me, it per- is I perceive as a more secular country. Sure. And the same is the case in Mexico, too. Priests from all over the world point to different causes for the dark side's growing hold on society. <laughs> uh, Father Gary Thomas, an American priest, blames a decline in society's reliance on the church and 
more on social sciences as well as an increase in superstitious practices. Yeah, we're all just a bunch of heathens now. I know. I think I saw something. <laughs> um, this was on Jerry News, which I, for the most part, I find it pretty reliable. It said about only 80% of our population now, and they say only 80, or sorry, 81% of our population now are Christians or religious, and, th- and that that number has drastically declined. But I think I think I sent that to you, Elise, and you even commented oh, yeah, yeah. saying like 81% is actually still a, quite a high number, but I guess compared to what it used to yeah. be. Yeah. Doesn't it feel high though? Too? Yeah, I mean, it, like, it does, but I guess it's in comparison to what it used to be. And then oh, granted, sure. you know, the U.S., we are, I believe this is just, the statistic was just the U.S., so don't quote me on that. But granted, you know, we were founded on such Christian beliefs mm-hmm. and all of that. So maybe it is a, such a small number compared to what it used to Absolutely. be. Yeah. Um, and yeah, back to the subject of like this being a big thing in Italy, there was an Italian priest, Benino Palila. Did I do okay with that, Jess? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am like in a New York Italian, was born in, in, oh, in New York. Like, oh, God. Uh, well, this he told the Vatican News that the growing use of tarot cards and homegrown sorcery, basically, homegrown are sorcery. to blame for this, you know, swirling of demonic presences in our world. That's funny. What is a, what is homegrown sorcery <laughs> that was, to That to was him. my own little flourish. Okay. <laughs> no, I think he like, means like people doing rituals and stuff. Yeah. But like, I mean, I have a lot of friends that they dabble into like, oh, I'm going to, you know, they do a little bit of like witchcraft at home. Mm-hmm. A mean, lot of witchy you know. women that like to do their own little, uh, and I, some of it I think is just like, yo, you're doing these like kind of little, little, um, you know, it's almost like doing like mantras or things to try to put that out into the universe, you know? Yeah. I mean, I believe there is such thing as just like energy from the earth all around us. I mean, it, it is what it is. And you're just kind of like putting out, what's it called? Like there's the law of attraction, what you put mm. out there and yeah, I get it. But Father Benino Palila, he does not care for it. Yeah, Jessica. he does not care for it. Um, <laughs> tisk, tisk. Yep. Yep. But Father Francisco uh, Batista, a priest from Mexico, suggests that the Mexican cult or Saint Death of Santa Morte, uh, with its some 8 million followers, is the cause, despite the fact that many of the group's devotees claim the faith is misunderstood and not all satanic leaning. Mm-hmm. In my research, I found that there are a lot of folks in the LGBT plus community and like sex workers and others who are shunned or not immobilized from society and the Catholic Church who have found a lot of community in Santa Morte. Still, the levels of fervor and fear are at a frenzy. Even even Pope Francis has told priests that they must not hesitate to refer their flock to exorcists if they suffer from genuine spiritual disturbances. Which, as we pointed out, is a challenge considering that there has been a net decline in the number of men entering the priesthood since the 1970s, and they've suffered losses in the numbers of tens of thousands. Yeah. (laughs) And younger priests just are seemingly adverse to pursuing the demands of not just the priesthood itself, but exorcisms. They're not willing to do it. It's just not as exciting as the movies actually make it look. It's so funny the word exciting. (laughs) Hey guys, let's go. Like maybe some people view that as exciting. Like, I don't know. No, but, and I also think like a lot of these exorcisms, it's just someone like sitting in a room, repeating a prayer for hours on end. Like it's not 
dynamic. Correct. That and then also feeling all these awful feelings because I know that a lot of the time when you, from what I've heard and stories and think, you know, that you're in this room and you're also like sweating. You also feel dizzy. You don't feel good. Like this doesn't sound exciting in any way mm-hmm. to me. I completely agree. <laughs> like it's yeah, horrifying. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But maybe if like you're a priest with a hero complex and you're like, I want to get in there and I'm going to be like mm-hmm. an action hero priest casting out that demon. And then yeah. you realize, oh no, it's just, it's just me and me like kneeling on a stool for hours on end saying prayers. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> an, an action priest. It's like, well, you could kind of look like a Marvel character, but you know, I want to look like an action yeah, priest. A hundred percent. Or if like your favorite movie is Constantine. Yeah. And that's, okay. That's your, enti- that's your entire background. <laughs> and you think that's, you're like, I've brought my mirror and they're like, there is no mirror component to this. And then you're like, what? Yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 But there is, there is still this demand that is not being met. Yes, dioceses and the church at large have developed their own courses to standardize the process and entice priests into the discipline. There are some stateside, but the most notable one is held at the Vatican, which is described as the only program of its kind. And we're going to get into it and talk all about it. But first, some words from our sponsors. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Question for you, Elise. How do you take care of your mental health? Well, I've done therapy. I try to just be active. I find that like being fit helps me. I love taking naps. (laughs) I love just trying to be like, I'm going to slow it down and just focus on myself too. Same here. Same here. And even better, there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Mm -hmm. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So if you don't feel comfortable, no one has to look at you on camera. Like you can just not have your camera on, but be talking to somebody. It's better for me because like I either like don't shower, look like trash. Yeah. Yeah. Crying your eyes out. (laughs) Who knows what's happening on any given day? A hundred percent. Same here. BetterHelp is much more affordable than in-person therapy as well. So you can be matched with a therapist uh, in under 48 hours as well. I personally go to therapy. It has helped me tremendously in every aspect of my life. And I think it's important to try different things. Like if you've never, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there where it's just like, oh, take self-care, take a bath. You know, like I I try and take baths because I want to do self-care. Baths don't work for no. me for some reason. No, I, I don't know why. Really fast. I don't want to be sitting in there. <laughs> Exactly. So, you know, if you've been hearing for a long time, oh, try talking to somebody, but you just, you know, like, I don't know if that'll work for me. Try it. You never know. Try it. Stick. Yeah. And honestly, like, I think the thing about therapy too is, um, you know, in, in our lives, which are very fast paced and demanding, you can often take a lot of your stress and putting it on the people around you, friends, family, your partner, and just having that third party in your life that you can, unload that too and can give you perspective, can give you advice is so valuable. And it also is not just valuable for you, but also for the relationships in your life. True. And these people, you know, they are equipped for this type of stuff. So don't worry about burdening them in any way. They are licensed therapists. And so they can take it. But great news, our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash 30mm. That's betterhelp.com slash 30mm. Today's episode is also brought to you by Everly Well. When you know more, you can do more. So if you can use science to discover more about your body, why not? 
Have a healthier tomorrow thanks to EverlyWell. Yes, with EverlyWell, you can take action today by taking one of their at-home lab tests or adding their vitamins and supplements into your daily routine. Which means if you've been experiencing symptoms and you don't know where to start, EverlyWell will support you on your journey toward health and wellness. So for example, the EverlyWell Women's Health Test measures 11 biomarkers that are known to play a role in your overall health and wellness, and it checks for abnormal levels that might be keeping you from feeling your best. Yes. And the good thing is that these tests are easy to use. I can't follow instructions well, so like this is great for me, but the instructions are clear and it is a great way to take control of your own health and personal well-being. It's affordable and transparent digital healthcare. With over 30 at-home lab tests, you'll be able to choose the test that makes the most sense for you and you'll get the answers that you need, like the woman's health test or food sensitivity test. Mm -hmm. I took the food sensitivity test and I learned that there are certain foods that I probably want to consume in moderation or limit or avoid because uh, I'll at least maybe feel a bit better if I don't have those. I'll have have some pep in my step if I don't have those foods in my diet. Absolutely. It was really helpful. And uh, just to to actually get some factual information about that. And Everlywell also, not just the tests, they have vitamins and supplements to help support your health. Uh, exactly. Like you can choose from a variety of options, including vitamin D, which I know I am low on all the time whenever I get my blood taken. Yeah. Vitamin D3, omega-3 fish oils. Um, I know that me and you are taking these, right? Oh yeah. I'm fish taking oils, them. <laughs> it's great. It's great for you. Here's how it works. So Everly Well ships you the test, they ship you uh, the product straight to you, everything that you need. So you just collect your sample, use the included prepaid shipping label, and you mail your test back to a certified lab technician. Yep. Your physician-reviewed results get sent to your phone or device in just days, and you can share the results with your primary care physician to help guide for next steps. Mm-hmm. And if you order the vitamins and supplements, just start adding them to your routine right away. It's so simple. One million people have trusted EverlyWell to support their health and wellness goals, and you should too. And again, good news for you listeners of the show. EverlyWell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash 30mm. That's everlywell.com slash 30mm for 20% off your next at-home lab test. everlywell.com slash 30mm. Okay, back to the show. Jessica, I am an aspiring young buff priest, very strong, (laughs) (laughs) huge muscles, and I just want to throttle and punch the living hell out of some demons. Well, okay. How do I do it? Tell me about this school. Let me tell you about it, you buff priest, you. It's the exorcism and the prayer of liberation school first opened its doors in 2005 and is a week long program. Week long. I think you think it'd be a little little bit longer. I feel like it would be a little bit longer too. A little little bit longer. Program covering the theological and psychological and anthropological background to exorcisms in one week. I guess it's like one of those things where we do the week and then you got to keep applying it every day and uh, using it or you losing it. Yeah, they're out there. There's enough out there to practice literally every day. Mm -hmm. Enough demons out there. Yeah, Uh, It takes place at Rome's Regina Apostolorium Pontifical Academy, which is actually a university connected to the Vatican. 
Mm -hmm. A couple hundred priests take the course annually, and the number has only grown. It costs around 350 US dollars. Which seems like very little, right? Again, it does. I could do that. Yeah, absolutely. You should. sponsor a priest, too. (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll sponsor a priest, and then they'll become my personal exorcist. God, I don't want that for you, because I don't want you to be possessed. <laughs> but just, I'd, just, I'd be like, okay, well, Jessica seems, she seems like she's a little, like, uppity today. I mean, maybe, could this be a demon? No. Like, all right, so I'm just Tom. constantly going like, through exorcisms all like, the time whenever I'm in an off mood. Yeah, they're like, Tom, go get her. <laughs> Tom! Father Tom, again. go get her. Sick him <laughs> on you. <laughs> oh, no. But while taking the program, priests learn how to identify the signs of demonic possession and learn from the veteran clergy members who practice the discipline. Mm -hmm. There's this movie from 2011 called The Right and stars Anthony Hopkins. And it's about a seminary student who attends an exorcist in training program at the Vatican. So like essentially this one. And it's actually based on the life of a real-life priest, Father Gary Thomas from San Fran, who traveled to take the Vatican indoctrination program. The Vatican is also home of the International Association of Exorcists, formed in 1992, which holds biannual meetings in Rome and sends out a quarterly newsletter detailing cases and sharing info pertaining to the profession. I'm, I don't mean to be making fun of this, but I just, it's just so funny to me, and I'm sorry— that it is funny to me because it's just like these exorcisms are happening and then they send out a quarterly newsletter just yeah. kind of like updating just like no. your normal like PTA moms would. A hundred percent. It's like checking in. And I mean, also there's the darker side of this of like it's being cultish and the, those new newsletters are like propaganda and indoctrination, like the, all that mm-hmm. whole side of things. But yes, it, like to me, the idea of like all these priests just gathering together is kind of funny. And like having their club and like, what is their club? Like casting out demons. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. And, and they built this association too. And uh, it was founded by Italian priest, Father Gabriel Amorth, who I guess is or was a bit of a celebrity among the exorcist community. He performed apparently upwards of 50,000 exorcisms before his death in 2016. Do we know how he died? I think like natural causes, old age natural causes. sort of okay. thing, not, not during an exorcism. Well, no. I just always wonder, you know, these priests are doing literally the Lord's work and, um, you know, are they getting attacked by these demons and dying and all I don't of that? Know. That must've yeah. been a tough issue of the newsletter to write though. <laughs> At least I <laughs> I'm swear. an asshole. Okay. <laughs> And even though the Vatican didn't recognize the association formally until 2014, their statues have been since approved of and integrated by the Catholic Church. And Father Amorth served as the chief exorcist of the Vatican. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he's—in my research, I see that he's pretty much like the one that people point to as the most well-known exorcist, Mm -hmm. sort of. And and like you just mentioned, Jess, that like these statutes— are now part of this like official doctrine and text of yeah. the Vatican. Yeah. So like, what are these exorcists use as like learning materials? Do they like, is there like a textbook? Yeah, I like, guess they- kind of. Actually, there is. It's called the Roman Ritual or Ritual Romanum. And it's the official liturgical book of the Roman Rite of the Catholic Church, and it summarizes the services that priests or deacons can perform. So it's like just, I 
the overarching text that priests just turn to and be like, hey, like I'm doing this homily today. What am I going to put into this? Oh, page 63. This one looks fire. <laughs> we should do a video of us reading it to each other as like a bedtime story. Oh, I don't my know. gosh. We will welcome <laughs> the devil in, Jessica. <laughs> we are pretenders to the to the cloth. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, in January of 1999, the church revised this Roman ritual to include an updated exorcism rite. Yeah, which makes sense since, you know, this text has been in use since like 1614. These <laughs> these updates uh, adopted more modern language and the new right also made provisions for psychiatric consultation, which is good. And let's face it, really wasn't a thing until like the 17th century. Yeah, if anything needed an update, it was like a scripture <laughs> from the you know 17th century that <laughs> is applied to an archaic religion. Since 1999, aspiring exorcists now have an official Vatican-sanctioned text they can consult during their course and during the exorcisms they perform. It's the prayers that they would recite, etc. And that's what's covered a lot during the Vatican's exorcism school is prayer, specifically the prayer of liberation, which is a prayer that's commonly used to expel possession and deliver the possessed from a demonic presence. But not all possessions are created equally. Therefore, not all exorcisms are performed the same. Yes, there are simple or minor deliverances slash exorcisms, which are a lesser form. These are conducted when the possessed individual is still in sound control of some part of their mind or body. And a minor deliverance exorcism doesn't have as much red tape as a major one. And this is simply prayers of liberation you know, that would be performed in the room with the perceived alleged afflicted person. Yeah, these tend to deal with more oppressive forces that aren't necessarily all consuming and might not just be limited to one person, but could mean cleansing a physical place such as a home. Mm -hmm. And most practicing exorcists perform minor deliverances that don't even require clearance from a higher power, pun intended, but I mean like they're superior in the hierarchy of the church. Um, like a, you know, bishop. Yeah. One priest was quoted as saying, quote, it may be that someone feels that things just aren't going all that well for them or that they're depressed or feeling oppressed by something. Sometimes people invite a priest to their home for a blessing with holy water and ask for an exorcism to be read. In other words, that the evil influences that they think are around them may be dispelled. An individual will usually sit or kneel before a priest or lie in bed and a prayer is read over them, end quote. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, I feel like there are lots of like places where like if someone's religious, they might just have their home blessed or consecrated or, or what have you. Um, yeah. And then there's also like, I know some people when they get into a new home or just in cleansing, you know, get, get some sage in there too. Start yeah. To, or they light that and we're like, we're just cleansing. Yeah. Just, and like, just because I'm not a religious person by any means, but I guess like if you boil it down to it, there are other things that you could consider like these simple forms of exorcism, like technically baptizing a baby to cleanse mm -hmm. them of original sin mm -hmm. kind of falls in this. Like, the rite of Christian initiation or like, I guess even like having a priest come to a dying person and perform last rites you could think about would be like, well, we're trying to absolve you of any yeah. sin or, or evil, you know, what have you. Yeah. Are, mm -hmm. Were you baptized as a baby? Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder if that's as common now too to baptize kids. Yeah. Sometimes it feels more like 
at least in, for recently for some people that have just had babies, it seems more and more of like a tradition based rather than more religious based. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's all changing. Mm-hmm. But now major exorcisms, like the full blown devil possession kind we see depicted in movies, are on a whole other level and pertain to the expulsion of a demonic presence that has fully consumed or possessed someone. Uh huh. And as is the case with priests who want to become exorcists, not just any member of the clergy can perform these types of exorcisms without the permission and clearance of their superiors. And even then, these major exorcisms are meant to be a last resort after all other measures have failed. Mm -hmm. So what's the criteria? Who can qualify for this type of major exorcism? Well, according to reports, only a small number of those referred show signs of true diabolical influence and vexation. So like 2% of the people that are referred for exorcisms. And these signs can include feats of superhuman strength beyond the subject's own physicality. So being able to throw a very, very heavy table across the room or something like that, or voice changes, growling, speaking in tongues, dead languages, or languages like Hebrew or Aramaic that the subject has never studied or known. Other signs include knowing information that the subject could not possibly know, as well as discomfort in places of worship or a violent aversion to God, the Virgin Mary, the cross, or other religious iconography or scripture. Yeah, Reagan in The Exorcist, she basically, you know, had all of these all of uh, signs in play. And so an exorcist requires confirmation from their bishop or diocese, and then through the study of the assumed possessed determine if they embody the characteristics of someone who is undergoing demonic possession. And per the 1999 updates to the Roman ritual, it is now required that the subject receive a psychiatric evaluation to determine if the suspected demonic attack is actually mental illness. Uh, The Roman ritual requires extreme circumspection and prudence so as to know with moral certainty that a person is possessed before performing any rituals, which I I think is like, that's great. That's a, it's a good first or a good updated, um, thing to this. Oh yes. Because like, I have my personal beliefs about, you know, religion and what have you. And, but like, I think people are still seeking out these exorcisms anyway. So if they're, Mm -hmm. if they're doing it, well, at least you're putting in some guidelines to try to, um, you know, not exploit people, but, um, sure. There are certain psychiatrists even who have actually made careers of working alongside exorcists and the Catholic Church to identify and treat mental illness versus demonic influence and avoid exacerbating an already harmful situation and making matters worse by mislabeling. Mm -hmm. According to Michael Cuneo's book, American Exorcism, there are about a dozen psychiatrists in the United States who medically examine allegedly possessed subjects for the Catholic Church to determine if there's actually an underlying physical or dissociative disorder at play. And then there's Princeton and Yale graduate Dr. Richard Gallagher of Westchester County, New York, who is one of these psychiatrists and the longstanding American attendee of the International Association of Exorcists that we mentioned earlier, the one that meets biannually in Rome. Dr. Gallagher never anticipated that his career ambitions would lead him down this path, but several decades ago, he assisted a team of exorcists with a few cases and eventually became kind of like the go-to for the other members of the clergy. Which I think that this would actually be like a interesting premise for a show of like, it's not a priest, but it's a psychiatrist that 
works in this world. Like he's sort of a fish out of water, but mm-hmm. then he he like knows the insides and outs. But he's yeah. not, you know, he's not a priest. Be kind of yeah, um, kind of interesting. But yeah, he yeah. also uh, this Doctor Gallagher, like he works with a lot of Catholic priests, but apparently also sees a lot of non-Catholic ministers, and uh, has attended to thousands of patients throughout his career but has only deemed around 100 to be, as he says, fully possessed. So interesting. So all examinations and studies have been exhausted. Mental illness has been ruled out and exorcism is deemed the final and only solution. Now what? Okay, first you got to start with a fire outfit. <laughs> um, copy, copy that. Okay. <laughs> as outlined by www.catholic.org, the priest must wear a type of embroidered white tunic called a surplice alongside a purple stole. So, you know, it's kind of like a dress for the job you want situation. Exactly, exactly, Um, Elise. Prior to performing an exorcism, the exorcist must undergo purification, which means days before going to confession, celebrating the mass, spiritually cleansing and purging of all sin. Mm -hmm. The administering exorcist needs to be clear of any and all collateral that a demon could use against them. So like basically the last thing you want in this situation is for the priest to become possessed too. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Which I feel like (laughs) if I was a priest and I was like going to do this, I would like turn and see my other priest possessed and be like my like partner priest and be like, ah, dang it. You know, yeah, dang it. Didn't you do too. all the things you were supposed to do? Yeah, come, yeah you to lied yourself to me. Out. Come on, man. Yeah, like, like, you, you lied know to the, me, bro. <laughs> you know the steps. Yeah. You oh, said you God. were cleansing and purging of sin. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> the person who is possessed may be bound for control, their own protection and the protection of the exorcist. Sometimes the possessed might speak to the exorcist in the voice of the demon or taunt the exorcist. Mm-hmm. Holy water is also used throughout the process. The priest will make the sign of the cross on the person several times throughout. And the priest will also call on the will of the saints and does a lot of prayer. I mean, we can't underestimate or or there, there's no way to over-exaggerate the amount of prayer because that's what it is. It's like prayer on prayer on prayer and reading excerpts from the Bible in which Jesus drives out demons from people. Yeah. A little meta. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The exorcist makes prayers and appeals asking the demon to yield to God and depart. He both implores to God in prayer to aid in releasing the possessed from the demon's clutches and to be pardoned. The priest also exercises the imperative will of prayer, demanding, as Jess said, that in God's name they depart the body. Again, this is all in the rite of exorcism, that 1999 addendum. Somewhat tame by the standards of exorcisms that we see in horror movies and sensationalized in the news. And just because checks and balances exist in theory and on paper doesn't mean that in reality, the culture of exorcism isn't one of concern. We know all too well the reach and power of the Catholic Church and its ability to hide, suppress, minimize, and cover up abuse and allegations. Mm -hmm. And that's like the big part of this exorcism discussion here is because like there are these associate, these exorcist associations made and there are all these like networks and organizations made. And I think that the inclusion of psychiatry and its role in this process is an important one, but we know that there is still like a ton of abuse and this is used as something to mask that abuse. Yeah. And there's a lot of widespread criticism and concern about exorcisms and other forms of religious cleansing that is used as a shelter to abuse children or other vulnerable or marginalized people. And the UK government 
actually has a national plan of action to deal with child abuse linked to faith and spirituality. There are instances where subjects have died during ritualistic cleansings and exorcisms that have gone way too far. Too many to list them all, but one recent tragedy happened in September 2021 when a three-year-old Northern California girl died after family members performed a ceremony because they believed that she was possessed by an evil spirit. Which like, you think of this stuff as like things that don't happen now. And But this was in California in 2021 that a little girl died because her family forces on her. And I think it was that she was, you know, having like screaming fits or crying fits. And that was the genesis for this. Yeah. It's just like, it's so deep how the, the abuse can run and the exploitation. That's why I like, you know, Dr. Gallagher, granted, I know that some people won't even agree with, uh, you know, him saying, oh, but there were a hundred that actually were deemed demonic possessions. But working side by side with um, scientists and psychologists and psychiatrists and all of that, because there is such a huge part of the world that is deeply religious, but, you know, there also is mental illness. And so just making sure that we are looking at both sides, um, regardless of, you know, what everybody believes in, because it's very, it's very important. And I think like sometimes when uh, religion relies more on a higher explanation than a psychological one, it breeds so much stigma uh, toward mental illness and misdiagnoses and a deference to religion rather than science, which is yeah. like wildly problematic and harmful. There's also concern that an emphasis on deliverance ministry and a focus on cleansing or expelling the the bad as a cover up for spiritual abuse that targets LGBTQ plus individuals as well. Yeah, yeah. Like I feel like conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. And exorcisms can like go hand in hand, right? Yeah. Which is horrible. And, you know, obviously like conversion therapy is awful and absolutely abuse. awful. And I think that like the idea of like, you know, these, these all kind of like can work hand in hand together. And, 100%. Uh, but we're ending this We're we're it sucks. Cause like, all I want to do is just like joke about movie, you know, exorcisms and movies. I wish, I wish it was just kind of a, um, a fictional thing that we just, you know, like a fantasy thing that we, it was the plot of movies and stuff, but it can happen in real life and it's harmful. A hundred, a hundred percent. Yep. And it's weird though, because like, even there's been stories of people that are not religious at all, like at all that have experienced weird, dark presences and they don't even believe in this stuff yet. They come out on the other side being like, there is something terribly wrong with this person or in my house or whatever it is. And then you, I don't know, just makes you wonder, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I am a skeptic and I am somebody that's not particularly religious, but like, it is the kind of thing where I think a lot about like, you know, the, the horror movie trope of somebody buys a house and then weird stuff starts happening in their house. Mm-hmm. And like, would I maybe eventually be pushed to call a priest to come? Cl- yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> You know, well, maybe yeah, no, like, abso- yeah, because I'm also that person that watches horror movies and I'm like, you just got to leave that house. 100%. I don't care what you paid for it, get out of there. <laughs> yeah, know? and I'm also the type of person of like, whatever works. So if I've already, like, I'm like, am I crazy? Am I hearing voices? And I'm going to get checkups and everything's good. And like, 
they're making sure I'm of sound mind and things are still happening. And I'm also not the only one hearing this and like other people are experiencing it. No, I am not above going, being like, all right, let's bring in some whatever, whatever will release it because I don't know what's in the world. I don't know mm-hmm. what's real and what's not, but whatever it is. And if it's evil, just get it out of my house yeah. and all, all will be okay. So whatever works to get it out. Poltergeist. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. And, you know, I know we were talking about earlier about what happens on weird movie sets and stuff, but that was another movie that had strange stuff that happened oh, yeah. on set. Oh yeah. Back to that. Yeah. It's like, you don't want to lose your security deposit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The exorcist. I, uh, I used to like years ago have a VHS that had a making of the exorcist. And it also like went into the, a lot of the superstition around the production and mm-hmm. the weird stuff that happened. There were a lot of tragic deaths that happened mm-hmm. during the production or were connected to it. And so it, developed this reputation for being a cursed film unto itself. Same with Poltergeist. Yeah. Weird stuff uh, as well, like strange deaths too. I know the little girl. Oh, yeah. I don't remember her name. Passed in a weird way too. But yeah, I don't know. what's weird. You just never know. That's the one thing I do believe in is that I just don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so if there's know. one, If there's one thing I believe, it's nothing <laughs> because I don't know. One thing I do know, Jessica, is I love this podcast. <laughs> Me too. It's so fun. Um, this is our penultimate episode of the season, though. Repeat that word, penultimate? Penultimate. What does that word mean, Elise? It's like the second to last. <laughs> Thank you for teaching me. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's like, this is our preseason finale of this show. So uh, next week will be our final episode of season two, and we are talking about the Paris Catacombs. I'm so excited for that one. Me too. It's a it's a fun one. Like, which if you're not familiar with the Paris catacombs, it's basically the tunnels under Paris where there are like six million sets of bones. Yeah, I'm hoping to go to Paris in October, and you best know I'm be searching in those catacombs. I'm gonna get in there somehow. You need to. I'm going. You need to because when I went to Paris, I just didn't have an opportunity to get to the catacombs. But no, it I'm going. Been so awesome. I'm gonna um, touch everything. I'm gonna get lost. Yeah, so so that's our episode next week. And then after that, we're going to be taking three weeks off just to regroup and get ready for season three, which we already have like plotted out. Mm-hmm. So we're coming mm-hmm. back for that. We just need some time to do the research and just take a little mental health break, as, yes. <laughs> as you all know about. Yeah, just cleanse the palate mm-hmm. because the stuff gets dark. But we, it's also we want to put in the time to make really great episodes 100%. for you guys. In the meantime, though, please continue subscribing and sharing with your family and friends. You know, share us on social media. Mm -hmm. Leave reviews, um, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, As per usual, we have some awesome merch at the Rooster Teeth store. Um, We have our 30 More Minutes Friends Till the End shirt and decal, our Curiosity Cabinet t-shirt. So fun. We love the pics. Keep sending them. Yes. I love everybody's like, I like there was someone that uh, tagged us on Instagram, Jess, who was like, I'm sorry, I I apologize. I forget your name, but they were rocking our curiosity cabinet shirt, but they were also like a big plant enthusiast. (gasps) So it was like macabre plant vibes. And I I was like, I love this. This is great. Cause that's, uh, I love plants and macabre too. I love that for us. Yeah. yeah. If you want to show us those pictures or drop us a line about what you're interested in seeing in our next season, follow us on social. Reach out to us at Jessica Vasami, at Elise Willems, at 30 Morbid Minutes. We would love to hear from you. Uh, Jessica, 
I do think I am going to invest in that personal exorcist. What was it? 350 bucks? 300. Well, that's for the week of school. Oh, and then I, I got I to, I could put up the yeah. air. Yeah. yeah. I do. I want to go through this book with you, though. The, the yeah. Roman ritual? Yeah, I would love to do that. Careful what you wish for, Jessica. Never mind. I take it back. <laughs> oh, so, so, so strong will. <laughs> Immediately shattered. <laughs>